Welcome back to the Imposter's Way podcast where we keep a beginner's mind. And this is chapter one of the blockchain land series, um, a 10-part series. If you haven't listened to chapter zero, I'd urge you to because it lays out the structure of what is to come. Um, if you have already, welcome back. As always, you can connect with me on Twitter to give me feedback and whatever else. Um, at Nico at work is my handle. And you can find transcripts and links and sources um, for this and the other parts of the series at theimpostorsway.com. Chapter one, digital scarcity. This may be the most important concept of all things crypto and blockchain. In chapter zero, I talked a lot about digital gold. And in this chapter, I'd like to dive a bit deeper on why that works, why that makes people all crazy and greedy. And with this series, the goal is to think along professed principles. And that's why I want to talk about scarcity as a concept first. And um, as always in the series, I want to stick with analog analogies as long as possible. Um, just to make it not too technical. So let's first talk analog scarcity and then port it to the digital realm. In case these explanations um, seem a bit too simple to you, I'd urge you to consider that the fascination here or the impact of them, of these basic concepts, really lie uh, in the subtleties and how they, in this case, affect our human social contracts. And this is really where it becomes interesting for me. So stick with me here. Bananas all around. Let's take a banana. It's not rare. It's very unclear how many bananas there are in the world. And today we know under certain climactic conditions, it's quite possible to generate a whole lot more bananas. How many? We don't know. If more people want to eat bananas because we realize it's one of these superfoods, the price will go up, right? And the producers will make more bananas happen. Bananas are a bad store of value. Right, that we can conclude. And that is even ignoring that they go bad quickly. Now let's look at something that is a little less abundant. First edition comics. There's a limited supply of first edition prints of a certain comic. Just choose your favorite one. But visualize that. And there's, so there's this finite supply of it. And that is conceptually rather straightforward, right? So we, we understand on an intuitive level that something that is relatively rare has a higher value to us than something that is abundantly available. And this is the case for gold as well. If Obviously, we don't know exactly how much gold there is around, and, um, but we know that it's limited and it's hard to get. Um, you need to put in a lot of work to mine gold, and it gets harder and harder. And therefore, um, we can attach value to that gold. If Elon Musk would all of a sudden announce that he has a gold rocket thing and they go to a different planet and they bring back a couple of tons of gold, we'd have a problem, right? Uh, the prices of gold would plummet and would destabilize. All right, but uh, let's, go, let's go to the digital realm now and look, let's look at the state of affairs there. Digital bananas. Now let's port it to the digital realm. Here scarcity is uh, Nowhere to be found, right? It's even lower. In the digital space, generally speaking, supply can be increased very cheaply. Let's say you look, it's, let's say you personally took a great video uh, on your last vacation. That video is not scarce at all. You only took one, one video, so there is only one, but it's extremely easy to copy from that point onward. So if you make 
you know, if, if you need more videos to exist in the world of this specific one, you just click the share button and you send it to a friend. Now you and your friend both on their devices, on their smartphones, have each one of those videos. And they're not differentiable, so two exist. And if that friend shares that video with a whole group of people, we've experienced severe banana video vacation video inflation, right? And it doesn't matter um, for you probably in that case because your video was rather generic. It was a pan along the Santorini coastline with some bananas in the foreground, something anybody could see on their last Instagram ad, right? But um, that could become a problem. I'll go into this in a second. So we've generally seen this ability to copy indefinitely as a benefit so far. It enables us to share. It enables us to listen to the same songs, to um, share files and pictures and videos and so on. And we probably don't think about that attribute of the digital realm anymore actively. And I want to bring that to your conscious attention that um, this free replication attribute, the, the, the ability to freely replicate, is what makes the internet and computers mostly valuable to us. And um, that comes with freely increasing the supply of a digital asset, like a video, picture, computer program, for little to no extra cost. So an example where the pros and cons of this um, are quite clear and easy to surface is the music industry. A single song does not have to be burned onto physical CDs anymore. If you think about, if you remember the overhead of um, buying uh, blank CDs, having a burner, having the song files, um, printing them on, like burning them on CDs, and then driving to a friend's place and dropping the CD there, and that was that was still quite a hassle, right? And 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 that was already better, uh, easier to do than any other replication of songs before that. So that does not have to happen anymore. And a lot more people, therefore, can listen to songs all around the world. And this is due to the uh, supply, due to the song being infinitely copied. And that has generally been great, except maybe for the creators of songs, right? And it's very, it's very, very hard to charge any money for your creation if it can be legally or illegal, it doesn't matter, copied for free. It puts you in a pretty bad spot as a creator. And to bring this back to supply and demand, the whole concept here is if demand goes up, the supply can indefinitely go up too. And this keeps the value of an individual asset, here a song, very low. And this is where digital scarcity comes in. Digital gold. Now let's park the song analogy for a second here. We'll get back to that. Um, the simple proposal of Bitcoin, just as an example, as digital gold is to create that scarcity that we've been missing. This allows us to attach value to a digital good, here called Bitcoin. The technological implementations are not trivial, but that does not have to concern us here. We just know that there's a limited supply of a resource called Bitcoin, and there's exactly 21 million Bitcoin available. This we know without trusting anybody in particular or any company. We trust an open source protocol that can be verified by anyone. That means that the code can be checked by anyone and um, the assumptions that there are a limited supply can be verified mathematically. 
And now the crazy part starts. People start assigning value to that scarce thing. And if enough people do, the price goes up. As I mentioned before, the concept is rather simple, but the psychology behind it is not. And we haven't witnessed a new store of value just pop into existence, right? Actually, quite the opposite. Our stores of value have mostly a very long history. And we talked about gold already, right? But it doesn't have a real-life use for us, really. You're not going to walk around with a kilo of gold in jewelry. Um, but yet there is a millennia-old social contract that gold is something valuable. And as a side note, maybe, I quickly checked the numbers of how gold is actually used. And only 8% of gold seems to be used for industrial usage, right? such as in computer chips or whatever. And 36.8% are reported to be jewelry, while 60% um, are, um, are a store of value. So they're just parked in a vault somewhere. So the value, that is always used in argument, like gold has a real world use, use case. Uh, doesn't really, like yes it does, but that's not why it's valuable. Um, it is valuable because of the psychology, it's because of the social contract that we have. And that's fascinating to me. So let's take another example. Real estate you know, is a common investment too. Stocks and shares of a company have been around since 1602. Um, and the first stock exchange in Amsterdam opened and we have oil, right? we have silver, we have raw materials, all has been quite, you know, around for quite a while. Obviously, there's new raw materials that we haven't had for a very long time, such as special metals or something like that. But overall, the raw materials market is old, the oil market is rather old now, silver, obviously. Um, but there's also a thriving art market that has been around for hundreds of years um, where people put their money to retain their purchasing power or make profits. And for the last decade, people have also been putting value into this new thing called digital gold. And the number of people has been growing. And so has the trust in the technology. A social contract is forming. And that social contract um, that gold has for millennia um, forms very, very slowly, but it is um, forming, right? To summarize here is that we've put value in all kinds of things. And recently, some of us humans have put value into a digital asset that is like a digital gold. And if you were an alien, I would say it is pretty hard to understand why some things have a very high or stable value and others don't. So looking at things like an alien, a child, or an alien child is pretty helpful in the following chapters and now. So keep that in mind. Risks and trust. But before we go into logical continuations and applications of digital scarcity as a principle, I wanted to quickly touch on risks and that are attached to this whole digital gold. As you might know from your social relationships, trust takes a lot of effort of time and energy to build and very little effort to destroy. Fancy people would call this thing called trust as a property asymmetric. Same goes for social contracts and the value we ascribe to things. If banks we invest in would go bankrupt, left, right and center, you'd think twice about trusting a bank um, to store your paychecks. So. The trust is a lot easier to destroy than to build up, right? That's the basic concept here. 
And here lies the main risk for Bitcoin and all blockchains. If the system would to break down even only once or have significant security gaps that are found within its implementation, trust would evaporate really quickly. And people would put their trust and value elsewhere. And the dream that was the digital gold will soon be worth nothing. So you can basically only get it wrong, right? At least in the beginning, back to the personal kind of relationship analogy, after years or maybe decades, smaller screw-ups in your personal relationships between friends and spouse and whatever, um, on one side will no longer break the full trust relationship. So you have established a more stable base. And our relationship with digital gold is still maturing, to say the least. Compared to art markets, expensive horses or houses or gold, it feels like, you know, that feel like family to us. Digital gold is a stranger we just met on a train. And trust takes time and no screw-ups. 12 years in and Bitcoin has not betrayed us yet. And it's getting more unlikely the more the network grows. But that's still a risk, and we'll cover more on that later. And not to forget, second biggest risk, Bitcoin has friends in high and low places. But it also has enemies in high places too. Mostly high places, actually. It's funny how Bitcoin has very little enemies in low places, just as an observation. Governments and central banks have um, so far taken care of the money, right? Um, quite a powerful position and Bitcoin could change um, you know it could change that dynamic since you don't need a bank to participate and it's not issued by a central entity. Um, one could therefore interpret moves towards the digital euro which is for example talked about and same thing in China for example as an attempt to make the ECB the Bitcoin of the future. I don't want to dive deeper here into the details of the political landscape and what is happening there. Uh, just be aware a lot of things are happening there. Um, and what I can observe from my trip down the rabbit hole is that there's a race going on on for what digital gold and digital currencies at large will be and who will control it. Who will own the trust is the big question. An anonymous protocol or a reputable institution like the ECB um, or the Fed in the USA. And the public trust will decide in the end. So just to uh, wrap this um, kind of up before we go into further applications, I think that is a, a fascinating um, point here is that the public in the end decides in the sense that where they put their trust is up to them. Um, and this has happened in the past way more than I knew and reading up on the historical uh, facts on this has been fascinating to me. So putting your faith in the local currency is actually something that is um, quite specific to uh, Western countries with rather stabilized rates and high levels of wealth and stability. Um, putting your trust in foreign currencies or foreign assets or other assets, um, a different social contract and um, that can change over time um, what you put your money in and where you put your trust in. And this new, this new landscape of digital assets will have these exact same um, kind of dynamics play out. And I think anybody who, um, who pretends to know how this will end uh, is, is lying. Further applications of digital scarcity. So let's get back to earth after this 
quick excursion into potential geopolitical craziness and wrap up this chapter to, you know, I'd just like to expand your horizon a bit while we are still on the topic of digital scarcity. So I'm trying to find a balance here between not overwhelming you, but also giving you an outlook that this is not just about investing in digital, as digital gold. Once you give people a tool, they find creative and odd ways to use it um, that you wouldn't have anticipated at all, right? So give them digital scarcity and they will sell emojis for thousands of dollars, right? And scarcity is a property that is needed to create a store of value. So back to principles, right? So for the first years of Bitcoin, people just thought about the obvious applications, money, right? With Ethereum, um, the second biggest blockchain implementation by market cap and other blockchains like it, making the creation of digital scarce assets um, gets easier and easier for the general public and new use cases kind of emerge out of that. Currently, Digital art is going through a massive rally. And with everything, um, a lot of this is tempor temporary excitement. But we are here to see what will stay. And what blockchain enables us is a proof that a digital file is original. That the JPEG or the MP4 file you have on your computer is the original digital painting or song. One out of one. Not a copy that someone sent you via WhatsApp. And the technical term for this is NFT, which stands for non-fungible token. The famous art auction house Sotheby's has sold several pieces, upwards of $10 million, um, that were such digital NFTs. And you can see examples of art pieces on the website. I'll link that in, on the postthisway.com. And Gucci, for example, as a fashion brand, recently announced that they'll release an NFT, which is unique, a unique digital item. So there's just a few examples out of many right so artists are selling just to come to a different use case and i hope you can connect the dots here and i don't lose you artists are selling personal tokens to fans that give them special perks down the road like a social like a special concert just for token holders so these tokens are basically a personal currency of the artist so that's another use case you can think about so you can invest in that artist by buying tokens because you believe in them. Let's say each, let's say each artist has a hundred tokens to give out, and you can buy them. And it's a supply and demand thing. If more fans want to buy them, they get more expensive. You can hold them, you can sell them, and so on. It's like a almost like a stock op, like a stock you buy from a company is the same with a person. You can also sell your tokens um, to others just like you, um, and this is already happening. Right, And there's a platform called BitCloud, for example, that's, that's spearheading this. And it has recently made waves for selling shares of celebrities without their consent. For example, Elon Musk's tokens are trading for, at the time of this recording, um, $83,000 per token. As, and, and you know people overall have invested around $11 million into his token. So how does that work? Um, that works basically you... You can make something scarce in the digital realm, and that could, for example, be the Elon Musk token. And um, there's a hundred of them, and uh, you can you can buy it, and you can sell it, and you can bet on the person getting more valuable, more famous, whatever. Um, or the person can actually say, well, if you are a token holder, you can come to this exhibition with me. 
So just two other use cases to consider here. So again, these projects might fail. Uh, I'm not particularly interested in the specifics, but let's zoom out again and just look at the psychology behind this. So humans love to buy a band's t-shirt, right? And other merchandise. And as alien, as an alien, I would simplify this behavior to say they want to show off their belonging to a tribe called Metallica. And it turns out that also that they also enjoy buying digital belonging. So this will not change about humans, right? And if BitCloud fails in this regard, something else will prevail. The opportunities for how to use digital scarcity are endless and they're currently being explored. And I hope I could kind of tease you with a few of them in this episode. Digital gold is just one use case because a lot of money is involved. It's also the one that attracts most attention. Obviously, applications of digital scarcity haven't arrived in the broad mainstream yet, right? They will be, they will in, in form of, of, you know, some form or another at some point though, and I want to prepare you for that point. And yeah, I think you can hopefully spin that thing forward and just see how that could how could that that could influence daily lives at least of um, the the digital native generation? So good job for sticking around with uh, with me until the end here uh, of the chapter. Next time I'll build on what we've learned today and focus on another big concept, which is called trustless consensus. If this was interesting um, to you, informative, confusing, I'd love to have hear your feedback. So again. Connect with me on Twitter at Nico at work. Um, I might also link an email or whatever on on uh, theimpostorsway.com where you also can find all the transcripts and so on. Uh, there's also some interesting further reading on the social contract of Bitcoin. Uh, actually, a good article from Hasu from 2018 that I'm going to link. And um, yes, I would say next time, uh, trustless consensus. I hope you you come back for this one. Um, until next time, stay scarce.